This episode was recorded on February 24th, 2021. It's your good old host, Shift. We are gathered here today for the return of Larry Lyons. He has come back to resume the tabled discussion from season two, episode four, Cancel Culture Club features Nikki Aaliyah's Earth is Ghetto. We are here to discuss the elder millennial princess of the pop patriarchy, the one, the only, Britney Jean Spears. Her conservatorship, her hypersexualized teen music career, and her iconic, controversial, and extremely problematic song and video, Slave For You. Yeah, so how are things over there? Is it still like the tundra? Is it still snowing? Today was the first day where we broke like 50 degrees. So it's, you know, doing what can to melt the, what was waist high snowbanks. Mm. Yeah, so at least heck, there's some reprieve. That just snow terrifies me, and uh, I was looking at the maps of the entire country, and I was just like, "That's outrageous! Like that's it's like a nightmare." I'm in the I'm in the tiniest sliver where there was there was no ice covering the earth. Yeah, it's labor intensive. I've I've definitely had to do more shoveling this year than I ever have in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's the, I guess that's the way it's just going to be until it's not that way anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see what the humans do about it. I guess so. Uh, now, where we last left off uh, was not giving much of a shit about Britney Spears because we had better things to talk about. And I just, to prepare for Today, uh, I was listening to Irene Cara, It's Irene, Live in Tokyo, 1985, while I was cooking dinner, and uh, my knee just suddenly decided that we were no longer dancing. That was something that happened, but I'm still pretty charged up on, like, awesome black women who have made great music. Dope. Yeah. Irene Cara is black, right? I actually haven't looked it up. I'm, I'm making assumptions. Um, she's so Um, but I don't think she's, uh, black, black. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, now I feel like I need to Google check myself. Not that it matters like, all that much. Definitely black adjacent, but I, I don't know. Hmm. I, I can't, I can't confirm or deny. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> hmm. Well, yeah. of the diaspora, <laughs> of the because. diaspora. That's Afro Puerto Rican. I Google checked myself. Okay, yeah. Afro Puerto Rican and Cuban American. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, of the diaspora. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll say, I'll say some. Sh- I'll talk out of my ass a little bit, but I do try to keep my ass in check about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and then actually last night. Uh, you know, on the notion of um, 
Britney Spears's life in general, uh, her conservatorship being lifted in between when we released the last episode where we referenced her and this episode's recording, somebody pushed me into a rabbit hole on Amanda Bynes's conservatorship yesterday. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, yeah. Cause now I want to follow her secret Twitter account really bad. Uh, yeah. Well, I think it's a really interesting time to look at wellness um, and celebrity um, and how those forces interact and counteract. Well, yeah. I thought um, I was prepared to have a conversation about, if not the whole entity that is Britney Spears, what, what Britney Spears and Slave for You has meant to me. Um, but it's one of those things that the more you grasp it in your hands, the more it turns to sand. Mm-hmm. I, I knew that the set of feelings and suspicions I had around uh, Slave for You and in her career at large was complicated. But it, it turns out that it's even more complex and unsatisfying than than I anticipated. And that's the thing. Like generally, even if things are a clusterfuck, if I commit to going down the rabbit hole, I'll find satisfaction sooner or later. Brittany denies me that satisfaction. Hmm. Interesting. Powerful. <laughs> and I think it's the, uh, the, the framing used by the most recent documentary does position her as a, a victim of sorts. Mm-hmm. And I guess in my readings of her work, I took perhaps too seriously the assertions of agency and this is who I am, this is who I'm going to be, this is who I want to be. And I think what's become clear in the past three weeks that I've really been thinking most heavily about Britney is that her whole career is a case study in the dissonance between the reality that one inhabits and the reality that one projects within the pop patriarchy. Ooh. Yes. So where do we go? Well, (laughs) we go a couple of places because it's actually, uh, I don't know if this is a microcosmic alignment, a macrocosmic alignment, or just a juxtaposition because celebrity is no different than regular life like it is but it's not i think we still can address the reality of the impact of things i particularly think that i mean so there's the the intention behind something the reality behind something and then the host of ways in which it's consumed and every one of those things is uh in my opinion worth assessing if there's uh, if there's access to the information easily and it's not yeah. redundant. One of the things that I think we are doing in our cultural criticism is um, really allowing for not, uh, how do I say this? Understanding the role of, of, the artist, at the very least, the recording artist, as more of a curator 
mm-hmm. a entity that kind of works as a colander and it's, you know, culture goes through it and it retains certain elements and then projects them back at us. Mm-hmm. And so with the question of Brittany as kind of a cultural producer, it complicates that formulation that you just made um, the, around, you know, the intention and what really happens in the world, because oftentimes in her catalog and her body of work, it seems that the intentions that she articulates are dissonant, if not contrary with how her label is thinking, how her directors are thinking, how some of her writers or producers are thinking, mm-hmm. certainly how her conservator is thinking. Mm-hmm. So much of her catalog is about um, resisting authority and surveillance and, and really um, trying to eke out some agency of your own. And so much of it is kind of self-sure this is who I am and this is, <laughs> this is how it's going to be. Um, which I, I really think is this kind of, um, black girl cosplay, mm. which is, um, like this kind of neck craning sassiness that she, um, you know, can usurp or co-op, but not really authentically inhabit. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I guess the best way to look at that is the, um, the, the way that this song starts. Uh, Slave for You, which came out, what, 2001? I want to say. Sounds about right. I would have been maybe like 16. Is that right? Sounds about right. Yeah. Um, I think that in a lot of ways, Slave for You, I mean, if, if you read what's written about it, everyone agrees that Slave for You is, is Britney's opportunity to pivot from this kind of girl next door persona that was marketed uh, the, pre- the previous project. And so we get her articulating herself as more of an adult, more of a sexualized, self-actualized and sexualized figure. Um, and so to do that... I, I, I got to take pause for a second because I did look up to check and make sure that the, the release date was 2001. The genre uh-huh. is the genre is teen pop for this song. So I just want to say that right after you talk about it being a chance for her to step out into sexualization. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, go on. Let's keep on trekking. I mean, these genres are even interesting because I feel like... What the fuck is um, teen pop? Right? <laughs> but but that I, may my be- first thought actually like if I was to say that without context my heart wants to go to Frankie and Annette wow right? <laughs> very very different set of challenges for Brittany. totally <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the things that I think might um, authenticate that genre is that um, the song is written by uh, Max Martin and he's like this uh, I want to say Swedish um, kind of sensation uh, to excuse the alliteration but um, back in the 90s early 2000s he was writing everything for everybody so um, Baby One More Time is him Um, I wanted that the Backstreet Boys is him Uh It's Gonna Be Me by NSYNC is him Mm -hmm. and so you might be team pop just because you wrote your song. I don't know. Okay. All right. I see. 
Yeah. But I, I mean, I mentioned Max um, because he's one of the men who are manufacturing this image for Britney. And she talks about him saying that um, in terms of their writing, like, oh, he's the, he really gets where I'm going. And, you know, I, I trust his instincts and he creates these weird and interesting sounds. But I, I've never trusted anyone more than him. And our, I can always trust, um, you know, being with him in the studio. And I think um, when you're trying to articulate kind of the self-definition, um, when you point out who in your corner you can trust, that's a big deal. So much of her catalog is identifying figures, authority figures, male figures, um, with, with whom she has these kind of contentious relationships and a set of expectations that she doesn't care to fulfill. But, um, one moment of reprieve from that is, uh, this partnership with, uh, this particular writer. So say his and, name one more Ma time. Max Martin. Max Martin. Okay. He, uh, I kissed a girl, Katy Perry. Okay. XM. All right. And yeah. He's made millions and millions and millions. Of do, so, do we know what gender is he like a Gen X person? He was born in 71. Okay. I think that's Gen X. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 71. Sure. Yep. So there's him who's, you know, crafting, or, or writing her into this this team's genre and then writing her out of it, you know, from from one project to the next. He is in many ways controlling the degree to which her lyrics reflect her sexual evolution. Mm -hmm. A man. But, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. <laughs> right, I don't right. Making essentialist arguments, but this is a white European, you know, a European man. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's one of the the prisms uh, that's beaming light through uh, Britney. I think another is we've got to mention Pharrell, or the the Neptunes who produced this track, which is another like in, you know fascinating duo. Pharrell had gotten so much kind of street cred um, for for taking those futuristic beats to urban music, you know, to hip hop. And so, you know, he was working with Nori at the time and, um, you know, Buster Rhymes, Britney actually, um, when she was recording or touring with uh, one more time, heard what he was, uh, what Pharrell was doing was like, Oh, on my next project, that's where I have to go. Hmm. Um, so in terms of, of the sounds, um, she's also kind of, uh, putting her faith in someone, um, that's proven successful in that arena already. So she's, she's turning to, or, or she's at least, I can't see, I can't even say turning to, cause I don't know where the agency lies. Maybe the label is, you know, dragging them in to make these hits. Mm -hmm. But the end result is that, um, the sense I got at the time, cause I remember vaguely Brittany being around and Pharrell popping up after like by maybe like a year and a half. Does that sound like a thing or would that be my perception based on what, what channels I was watching them through? Yeah. Um, I feel like, uh, Pharrell, I, I can't, and, and I, Pharrell and the Neptunes were enjoying significant success in urban music before Britney. Well, I did. But, I accidentally referenced 
the Mickey Mouse Club earlier, I was genuinely drawn to bring up Annette Funicello because of looking at the term teen pop. But I, uh, yeah, Brittany, I guess in my mind kind of extends back to that period. And then there's a gap, I suppose. So yeah, perception and perception and platform matter, I guess, is the, the point of my fucking little meander right there. Um, cause yeah, in my, in my memory, Brittany, Brittany was like running on MTV before Pharrell was, I just would have not noticed him is what it is. Yeah. Because I mean, he was recording, um, in the like early, like 92, 93 and Brittany okay. must be very young at that point. Huh. And then how how much older is he then? Because he looked young as hell, and I didn't look him up ever in my life. <laughs> he was born in 73. He just looks super young. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Creepy. Yeah. <laughs> Kinda, like. But I, mean, I think we're starting to get a profile, like these men born in the early 70s who are shaping what it, what it looks like to articulate your identity as a teenage girl in America, you know? Yeah, I think they call that grooming. Mm, whoops. Oh, wait. I think I learned yesterday you're not supposed to say that on YouTube, at least. People are, like, like censoring it. They're, like, censoring themselves so it doesn't come out. I don't know. I don't know. It might be that people are trying to not have content out about this kind of thing. Well, um, listen, I, I wasn't going to introduce that particular phrase, but there is something <laughs> creepy going on for me. Um, uh, around the director of the video, who's the third entity. So there's Max, there's the Neptunes, and then there's Francis Lawrence, who's the video director. And so what Max is to pop music, Francis is kind of to uh, music videos. Now, Francis, like, he's been directing videos for, uh, let me see, like, who, uh, oddly, Deborah Cox stands out, <laughs> but like yeah, Akon, Wyclef, okay. uh, uh, Refugees. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but uh, Wyclef and the Fugees. Um, who else? Who else? Who else? But like a, a lot of a lot of urban music, not exclusively, but like a lot of urban music. Um, and then he goes on to like direct like the Hunger Games, like in, in big Hold major. Up. He did Constantine. That's one of my favorite white people movies ever. I F with Constantine. I do. I watch that <laughs> shit on repeat when I'm sick. Okay. It's I know this guy. I don't love Keanu Reeves, but his movies tend to be some of my favorite movies. There's no logic behind it. Let's move on. <laughs> okay. Um, so Francis Lawrence is um, the director of Slave for You. And he, if you ask Whitney what that what that video is about she's like oh i'm in a sexy dance party and you know with with my friends but in the same article that i read that francis lawrence is like yeah i had this theme about a bunch of basically kids from all over the world being in an asian bathhouse oh oh, oh i am already upset <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful that you're upset because like I was like how how do you say here's a 18 year old girl um how am I going to direct this video I know I know where, where to put her 
in an Asian bathhouse. Like I just, I, I thought. What kind of, I mean, that's just so like, there's nothing to that. That's just him. He has nothing to him. And that's his fucking life. And he's like, let me do something with that. I made art. Like, I don't know. There's something to that because he does seem to be the kind of, um, I'll use the term visionary. Like he'll have a vision. (laughs) (laughs) Criminal, criminal use of the word. Go on. (laughs) Um, A vision for, for what he, for like a project that he wants to do. And because he was working with, I mean, he was producing several, several uh, music videos each year in the early 2000s, late 90s. And so if if he pitches a concept of an Asian bathhouse to, you know, one artist and they don't go for it, he goes to the next. And so ultimately mm-hmm. um, he will have that vision executed and the what, what artist it is is relatively inconsequential to him. Oh my God. I'm looking at the list though and I'm just going to pull some Rihanna Green Day, mm-hmm. Black Eyed Peas, Melanie C, Avril Lavigne, Aerosmith, Jennifer Lopez, Janet Jackson, Fastball, just for some scope, Monica, Gwen Stefani, Pink, mm-hmm. whatever, like everybody that like mm-hmm. was on the top 40 on Road for yeah. Ooh, okay but i'm glad you say pink because pink is another example of the creepiness that i am seeing here so pink put out two videos before working with francis lawrence and both of them were colorful playful and then the video that she does with him um pink goes black like it, it, it gets dark she goes goth it, it seems almost to be that- clear. This is the whitest man, the oh, yes. whitest man. I've, I'm looking at his picture right now. Francis, Jeff- Francis Lawrence is the whitest name possible. If you're a white man <laughs> and he's the whitest white man with the whitest white man name, given that he's the white man with the name. Okay. All right. Yeah. Pink. Okay. All right. Um, so which video was that? Uh, I want to say just like a pill. Huh. And it, I, I know because it starts like the opening scene is like her laid supine on the floor all, all in all black and the black of her outfit billows from her like a, a dark pool of blood huh. and her, her hair is short and edgy with purple highlights and she's, you know, the video starts with her, her kind of writhing out of this um, supine p- uh, position on the floor. And it's like pink, like we haven't seen her before. Like we, we know, let's uh, get the party started. You know, like it's, it's a different pink. But again, in this instance, like with Britney, um, when it's time for uh, someone who's introduced to pop to make a turn to show that they're darker or more mature are, you know, deeper. Um, this is one of the folks that the the pop patriarchy was turning to to craft those images. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, but what's m- the most important video that I think for me in, in this discussion that he directs is the Crimea River video that Justin does after he and Britney break up. Okay, now. So let me set the scene. If like we were talking about this pop um, explosion or what was going on in, in our teen pop, boy bands were everything. I'm sure you remember what it was like during this time. Like 
boy bands were everywhere. Oh yeah. I rolled off an apple cart right into boy bands. And that was like my entire life at probably like 13, 14 years old. That's yes. Boy bands. Uh Yeah. So Justin, both of them, uh, both Justin, Christina, Brittany, all alums of that Mouseketeer experience, um, leaving the Mickey Mouse club, trying to sort out, what their new identities are going to be in the public eye. And so Justin has a little more time to figure that out because he's in a group after the Mickey Mouse Club ends. But Christina and Brittany kind of, when they graduate, they go kind of straight to pop. Like they, they start recording almost immediately. And so they have to eke out these identities as individuals in a way that Justin does not. And he is protected by the patriarchy because there's, you know, a a number of brothers to to shoulder the weight of white masculinity. Okay. (laughs) Oh, this is a trip. Um, Did any of the boys get forced into solo careers from the Mickey Mouse Club? Um, I mean, I feel like it was everyone for themselves. And it really depended upon what your support network looked like and, and the resources that you had. Uh-huh. I got the sense that um, whereas Christina, for example, was uh, from the New York, maybe or, or like uh, East Coast, uh, she was able to kind of travel around and her family had the resources to, you know, or, or at least the geographical privilege of uh, getting her into spaces where mm-hmm. she could launch her career. Whereas Brittany, uh, from a smaller you know town in the South, mm-hmm. it was a more difficult transition. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, what kind of structures do you already have in place to bounce back after your meal ticket is over? Mm. Um, but so Justin has time to basically incubate within uh, his boy band and, and make a lot of money um, while figuring out what he wants to do next. And when it was time for him to part ways with that group, I, it was around the time that he had his relationship with Brittany. And then um, his solo album came, came on the heel of their breakup. So what we get is um, Justin's first, um, opportunity to to articulate his his own singular masculinity um, in in artistry, and and we get "Cry Me a River," which, in the same way that Britney turned to hip hop producers, the Neptunes, um, to to make her sound a little more racy, Justin turns to turns to Timbaland, who's enjoyed similar, if not greater, success in urban music. Um, turning out hits, turning out hits with uh, Missy Elliott and the Super Friends and um, everyone who can afford it. In the, um, and and so what, they, what we get is Cry Me a River and Francis Lawrence directs that video as well. And here's why it's a problem. It's, it's one of the most haunting revenge fantasies I'd ever seen explored cinematically at that point, maybe today. In it, um, the basic plot, if you guys haven't seen it, um, is that Justin becomes aware that his partner is being unfaithful. Um, So he takes to hiding in her bushes to, you know, find out the truth of what's going on. He watches 
um, what in the video is clearly a Britney Spears lookalike leave her house with uh, her paramour, and he breaks into the house and you know glides and flies and flips um, smoothly through breaking and entering hmm. <laughs> uh, so that he can um, set into motion this revenge plot, which involves him bringing in another girl to, um, to make out in this duplicate Britney, uh, Britney Spears' home, recording the video, uh, recording it all on video so that she can, uh, discover the video playing on one of her screens when she gets home and he sneaks out hmm. in the video. He, he stalks her. He follows her so closely that we can't believe that she can't feel him on her skin. It's one of the creepiest things you'll ever see in a music video. And it is what made me look at Francis Lawrence with a side eye and say, this is what you were giving to American teens. <laughs> this, this is what we thought was hot in the streets for folks who were too young to articulate their own versioning sexual identity. And you had to provide these tools to them. Well, I'll tell you, I, I ate that shit up like bagel bites and washed it down with some sunny D. Cause I don't even remember the plot. I vividly remember watching the fuck out of the video a lot though. Like, no, I was, yeah, I remember sitting and absorbing it. I remember the shades of it. It's like blue, kind of grayish, right? Mm -hmm. Like a silver. Yep. Yeah, I remember eating it, but I don't remember yeah. any of that. Yeah. That's fucked up. Yeah. The, <laughs> the way it goes kind of unchecked and unmarked as like violent predation is probably why um, it became so pro problematic for these teen idols to be articulating how empowered and autonomous they are, even while these adults <laughs> um, are infusing really problematic elements into their artistry. Mm. And, and, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it really was like all over the place. I, what's our, what's our age difference? I was born in eighty five. I'm eighty one. Okay. Yeah, just a, just enough. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Pairing this with my my um, my little gallivant down the rabbit hole of Dan Schneider and Nickelodeon last night, and just having like the use of like Nickelodeon's continuous and, and prevalent use of feet as iconography, um, mm -hmm. be, be reframed for me. Uh, I have a lot to stew on, <laughs> like just a lot to stew on. Heck. You know, one of the reasons I didn't want to fall down this rabbit hole is because this is the trick of white supremacy. It is to distract, as as Toni Morrison said. That's <gasps> true. Um, that is the. There are so many things that um, brilliant creators of color could be doing, but we are constantly having to tend to this question of racism and. And, and distracted. Oh my God. 
And so I didn't want to center on Brittany because that was getting decreasingly less and less satisfying. But what I, what I do think is a beacon um, in the way that um, Nikki Aaliyah was in the, in the last conversation. I think Janet Jackson is the salve in this conversation. <laughs> if Britney Spears is a slave for you, Janet Jackson is a salve for you. Oh, oh, oh. That might be a little dad joke, but... <laughs> you know what? Rub it in, because I'm burning. I don't know. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Uh, what I'm saying is, like, uh, the way that Britney starts this song is, um, is this spoken piece that reminds me a lot of Janet Jackson's control. So Britney says, um, what Britney whispers, I know I may be young, but I've got feelings too. And I need to do what I feel like doing. So just, uh, so let me go and just listen, which is a whole stanza of nothing but listen here. Like she hasn't said anything but listen here, but structurally starting the song like that, um, put me in the mind of Janet's control because, um, it's not included in the like the lyrics and the way that the, the Britney song is, but she says, this is a song about, about control, control of what I say, control of what I do. Um, I, I don't know it verbatim. I know it spiritually. <laughs> <laughs> she said, you know, because it's about control and I've got lots of it. And there's like this wonderful atmospheric music behind her and it feels like the dawning of a new day. Um, the Janet of the, the two previous albums, which no one even mentions in public anymore. Um, the self-titled Janet Jackson and Dream Street. Like in this moment, she is clearing those from the record altogether. Those are not my creative product because I was not in control of them. My history starts now because I'm articulating it now. And so there's this really powerful way in that, that Janet starts um, that song and, and, and thereby her career um, uh, you know, not as one of the Jacksons, but as self-possessed Janet, period. Mm. Um, and I think that it was something that, that should prove instructive for future generations of pop starlets. Um, that, that kind of the uh, foregrounding the importance of, of autonomy and, and, and making sure that that's not just on the level of uh, you know, lyrics that, that, you know, in, in the entire product that you present to the public, that there's some integrity around you saying that you are, you articulating what your role in it is. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so when she goes on to say, like, if, if Janet's control is like a carefully deliberated five paragraph essay about like how important it is for women to celebrate having agency over their lives. Britney Spears's slave for you is like a a parody, a comedy of errors that oh. <laughs> that are, are like a Mad Libs that takes <laughs> takes all of those ingredients and throws them into a similar product without any of the authenticity or maturity that, that would give it some actual legs. Mm. Hmm. Mm hmm. Yep. 
Yeah. So I don't. So I don't think it's coincidental that when it's time for um, Justin, the darling of the pop patriarchy, to issue apologies for the women that he's wronged, that both of these women are in the receiving line for those apologies, both Janet and Brittany. Um, because oh, the, the violent predation that we see him exhibit in that Crimea River video is, is in, in the impunity that he enjoys when he slithers away from her house is the same impunity that he enjoyed after Nipplegate at the Super Bowl. Holy Hannah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Except Janet, uh, prayerfully, presumably, I don't know if I'm right about this, but needs that apology less, right? Because she was, although she was battered and, and, and undermined in terrible ways by that ordeal, she was already a fully articulated woman. Like, she was a woman. Mm-hmm. Um Britney Spears was given Janet's styling, her choreography, her video concepts, her director, uh, you know, some of her producers, but but not given any of the the 10 years that, you know, Janet had to to cultivate that um, in, in, a, in, in a way that made it real for her, um, not as, just as a person, but as an artist. Yeah. <sighs> yep. And I think that's how we end up like looking at conservatorship so closely because we have this figure that's never truly never been given control over how she presents herself um, or not complete autonomy. And, and maybe the record industry is not a place for that to happen. That's a different conversation. But um, it seems like with the preponderance of songs that focus on how exhausted she is and resistant she is to um, surveillance and judgment and respectability, she's been singing to herself all along. Like this, this, in the way that Janet told the world, this is who I am, Brittany has been trying to tell herself first and perhaps her handlers next that this is who I want to be. Um, I just fear that the pop patriarchy took away the tools to actually manifest that for her. Mm. I mean, I have a bit of a, <clears throat> I got a bit of a more like insidious twist on it where I feel like she's being presented with content to complement the imprisonment mm. and you know, in I mean, like, I don't, I don't think it matters like how opulent the environment is that you're imprisoned to like not being able to parent her own children or like drive vehicles legally, like that kind of shit's really bizarre. And so like, you know, just little things that I'd be like, Oh, something to do with the case is coming up. And then the next thing I know, Jamie Lynn's on a bunch of tabloids, like I'm pregnant or like, I'm, you know, something weird and dumb. That's like not a headline um, would come up. And that was during the beginning part of when I first became aware of the conservatorship. 
Uh, and eventually I kind of got burned out on looking at the whole thing until, you know, a couple of years ago, I looked at it again and it's been stressing me out the last, uh, maybe since like 2016, I, start, I like looked back at it and I was like, that's still fucking happening. Why? Like, I don't, what is this? What is this? And, and how do I even, how do I even have concern over something of this level? Like why, why is it bothering me so much? It was kind of the, the initial thing that I had to answer to. And frankly, because I was, I ate her, I consumed her. Like it's, I don't, it's my responsibility to like deal with the things that I consume. I think to some degree, what I regurgitate and digest how I metabolize all of it. And I tend to linger a bit, uh, like anywhere I am, if there's a little bit extra to clean up or something more that needs to be done, is somebody going to need a ride? Like, I'm not going to be like first to leave unless I have to from any type of situation. And, uh, yeah, these conservatorship situations, I'm, I'm, I, I'm concerned now at the, the rapid release of, um, how that one went, cause it didn't look like it was going to happen. Uh, and I'm just worried that somebody's like ready to exploit another level of it. They've changed the rhetoric or something, but being surrounded by handlers at that degree of wealth, uh, from the age that she was in it. And there's just like a few child stars that were approximately my age that I was watching their trajectory and keeping an eye on their parents. And I was just like, there's something off about that. I had, I also had an affinity to like generations prior, uh, of yesteryear. Yeah. It's a weird thing to have people like grow up in a, in a snow globe and then never get out of it. Just some of them never get out of it. All of them are kind of in it. If they, if they start off, in it yeah and i'm i'm like that snow globe like glass menagerie experience that is, they're having i'm suspicious of it because of the way that their platform authorizes them to shout down instructions on how to be yourself um you know to the rest of us when the reality of the situation is that you'll be 40 before you breathe a free breath they don't um, know but, that. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, Brittany, I mean, oh, well, let's ask that question. Yeah. She thought she was free? Slave for you? I mean, how old was she when she did it? What, 17? 19. I, 19? I, she might have recorded at 18 and it was released at 19, but around there. Yeah, I don't know. Then it, that was like when it was super trendy for white girls to have cornrows and and like wigger culture was fucking thriving. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I think everybody I don't know what they were thinking. Honestly, I have yeah. no idea what, what was driving that performance of whiteness <laughs> during that little era. <laughs> I never really thought about it like that. But damn. One of the things I would point out um, in the timeline of, of how this works out for Britney is that in two th uh, the the I want to say it's the forty second Grammys. It's the whatever Grammys were uh, the year two thousand. Um, if if you don't memorize Grammy <laughs> airings, and mm -hmm. I don't, um, this was the one where J Lo wore that iconic green dress that changed history and created Google image search. By the way, okay, that's that's a reference point. We don't need to know what year it was. We know what you're talking about now. Yeah. So but at that um, Grammys, that's where we witnessed some of the um, quote unquote Latin explosion. Um, so like Sh in Shakira and Santana and all that. Uh, 
And, yep. Okay. And the best new artist, uh, Britney was up for best new artist against Christina and lost to Christina. And so I feel like uh, Britney Spears is experiencing her racial otherness in the um, in the music industry, or at least um, uh, the the decentering of whiteness, or the fetishization of you know folks on the color, however you choose to language that. God, you you I can mean, never tell, or is it always the same thing? Right. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I feel like if whiteness isn't decentered sustainably, then it's it's the other stuff, you know? Yeah, yes. If it's, if it's just one explosion and that fizzles out, then it's not real, you know? Yeah. Well, usually, um, I mean, it's because they go too hard. They're either overcompensating or they're doing a caricature thing. Right, right, right. Is there any other thing that they do? Is that the comprehensive fucking list? Neoliberal values of like God. market and values, right? So, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yes. There's nothing we can actually sink our teeth into there. <laughs> yeah, no, at the bottom of the at the bottom of the rabbit hole of white bullshit is just a ton of white noise and then the ground falls out and it's just more goddamn white noise. <laughs> sorry, that's all there is there. I just no- I I literally just did an excavation. I went down a hole. It was like a it was like a like a cave system of white bullshit. And I, uh, you know, it's just, it's, I repelled out fine, more or less, but Jesus Christ, it's just white noise. Yeah. No, I tested. Yeah. I, I was testing my theory. Is there a reason to, to have hope in white people? Uh, the determination mm-hmm. is, um, it's, it's partially delusional. Uh, that's, that's all. I, not partially not, but it's partially delusional. That's the part I want to focus on. It's partially delusional. <laughs> yeah. Insanity. Yeah. You know. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) but the point I'm making is that um, the way that she's playing with whiteness is not only shaped by what blackness is doing in the music industry, but this Latin explosion that she feels acutely having lost the best new artist Grammy to Christina Aguilera. Mm hmm. But I want to get into these lyrics, too, because I, I made this claim earlier, or I identified earlier how she, in interviews, is saying, oh, you know, this is the concept for the video. And then the director is like, no, this is the concept for the video. Um, I think the same thing happens on the level of the lyrics as well. Um, the arguments I get into around this song, it always comes up that the folks interpret the song as, oh, I'm a slave to the music. What folks? What who? Who? You're turning me into an owl. Who says that? Um, my friend Tommy Coleman. Oh, okay, okay, okay. All right. Okay. Um, but no, uh, Britney says it as well. Um, fans, you know, regurgitate it, obviously. But well, if she, if she said it, then fans would regurgitate it, right? Which because you're a fan, but there's no real discussion of that in the lyrics. The, the lyrics are actually illustrating a scene that is very familiar and very uncomfortable um, uh, for me as a black man. And, and travel down this rabbit hole with me, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I'll own right here that like as a 
black queer scholar, intersectional feminist who is preoccupied with questions of race. Um, if you feel like those vectors of identity and practice overdetermine my analysis, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, but here's what it looks like where I stand. There is this trope about white women becoming enamored of black culture so thoroughly that they eschew, forfeit, and relinquish their allegiances to whiteness broadly, but white patriarchy in particular. Uh-oh. And so I was asking my friend Omar, I was like, where, where is this, you know, most clearly articulated in culture? Is it a movie? I don't know where I've seen this, but I feel like I've seen it play out over and over again. Um, there's a plot, for example, in uh, Godfather of Harlem, which is um, a sitcom on, I want to say, like FX that uh, stars Forrest Whitaker as um, a very important gangster who changed history and his name escapes me right now. Um, it's some other name for a phallus. Woody. But anyway. Um, he remembered later that night. It's Bumpy Johnson. Ugh. Um, the, it, it tells the story of like a blues musician um, who becomes embroiled in this um, interracial attraction. Um, so he's um, you know trying to get out of the hood with his music thing and, and meets a white girl who happens to be connected to the mob. Um, and uh, the hijinks ensue. What, what ends up happening is that, like, she's so in love with his, with him as an individual. But what his music means for the race, his race, and for race relations and for the world, um, that she kind of, you know, relinquishes that that loyalty um, to um, her Italian circle in ways that create problems and predictable violence for all the black folks around her. And I think uh, he ends up dead as a result. Mm. And when I saw it, it felt very familiar because the notion of this white girl coming to the jazz club because she thinks like, because, because the music there is so seductive um, and, and her being enraptured in a way that causes her to lose sense of her social positioning or to relinquish the privileges of her social position um, and just dance the night away uh, in, in the carefree way that the Negroes um, enable for her. And the, the problem only comes um, when we realize that the rest of the, the, the white world has not um, forgotten where this, where this white girl is and Black folks always start dying around the club as soon as we discover the white girl that's going native. Hmm. And so when Britney says at the start of the song, uh, all you people look at me like I'm a little girl. Did you ever think it'd be okay for me to step into this world? Always saying little girl don't step into the club. I'm just trying to find out why because dancing's what I love it resonates different mm -hmm. because the penalties for you little girl being in that club are great for us of age men and women 
um, upon who the penalties will be exacted, right? And so, but I, I think there's a double entendre going on here where, or, or maybe triple, um, the club that she's talking about, I do think that that club literally is the same club that 50 Cent is talking about in, in, in the club. Like, it's, it's not a particular dance club. It is a... Um, a, a, a cultural space where being present doesn't mean you belong or you're included. Like that's that's something that has to be negotiated, mm. and so that's why certain people are told not to step into it. Right? Mm. It's not it's not for everybody. It's not safe for everyone. And this question about I, I I'm just trying to find out why you guys don't want me to be here because dancing's what I love. Well white girl it's because this is this safe space that we've cultivated Mm -hmm. can only remain safe if if everyone here agrees to its rules and one of the things that she is doing by being there is is willfully bucking convention and and those rules that that we all talked about and so when she talks about um don't you want to dance up on me leave behind my name and age it resonates different because whether we do or whether we don't, it's dangerous for you to be asking the question. Mm. And we don't enjoy the luxury of leaving behind. Can can R. Kelly leave behind your name and age? Who, who here, who in this club that you're not allowed to can do what you're saying here and, and leave behind your name and age? Who enjoys that privilege or luxury within the club? Mm-hmm. So it's this fantasy. It's this this kind of jungle fantasy that women have been having for a few hundred years now. Oh, heck. Where they get carried away by the drums and, and they don't understand why society won't let them. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Fuck. But the way that white women use this metaphor has proven problematic. Like, you're not a slave for us, sweetheart. (laughs) You're not a slave for us. Like, you you are a slave to a system that you are trying to evade. And you will co-opt our safe spaces until they're no longer safe for us to do that. Yo, that's the that's the moral. That's the point. Yep. Yeah. And so you'll hijack these technologies like our beats, you know, our producers, our geniuses, our rhetoric, mm-hmm. our identities, our plights, our cult, like our, our endeavorous, like, you know, the, the terms we come up with to describe things we've gone through mm-hmm. in shorthand. They're like, oh, that seems like me. Me too, probably a little. Yeah. If, if it's a little bit, then I get to all the way, don't I? Come on. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. Uh, but even the, the, the privilege of referencing slavery as this empty metaphor, as if white women didn't profit from and propel slave labor, hmm. um, it is a problem. Um, activating BDSM culture without any real understanding of subdom relationships might be why you you can't get out from under the patriarchy. <laughs> like I hate to speak 
you know, broadly conspiratorially in that way. But I, I do think that if she'd taken some of the actual lessons of Janet Jackson's control and the 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 other people of color that she's either borrowing borrowing from or activating for this track and for this album that she could have sooner arrived at a space where these articulations of autonomy and self-determination would ring less hollow. Mm. On the notion of conspiracy, I, d- I don't think that all conspirators are, are hip to the conspiracy that they play mm. in. Yeah. You know, like they know the steps, but they're not hip to it in like a. Like they can come in and they can learn how to do the line dance, but they're not setting up the show. They're not doing They're not all running it, you know. Yeah. They're not all like planning the playlist. Some of them are just following it. Like, oh, we're doing this song now. Oh, we're doing that step now. Okay. Like, you know, I don't know. It's so complex. Like, it's the inertia that's complex. Like, I just, I'm, it's like swarming. Yeah, I don't know if, if I, don't, I don't know what's activated here. Like, it's certainly my uh, skepticism and distrust, but it's also my pity. Yeah, I'm like, fuck, can I find any mercy? Is there anything to do with this shit? Because they're not, <laughs> I don't mean it. I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> that's, I just, fuck. I just, um, I think that it is very real. Like I feel in a visceral way how bothered I am by invoking slavery in this way. The, the notion that slavery is something that is sexy without any real understanding of the sub-dom relationship. It feels like this Lolita activation of a lipstick lipstick feminism that is like baseless and inauthentic. Mm. I do wish that we had uh, done this episode on camera because my face, <laughs> like a lot of my face <laughs> for many, many Maybe moments. Maybe we should go back and record our faces to coincide. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a reaction video of us listening to it after I edit it. That sounds good. Are just gifts. It doesn't even have to be like our faces. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah. Gifts will do. I am your gifts 98% of the time these days. I, memes are a love language and a communication tool. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Oh. Have you got any other thoughts? Um, one, I, I just want to point out that I think that we should all be taking a closer look at Francis Lawrence. <laughs> right. I think that he's been so prolific as a director that we'd be well served to interrogate his attitudes toward women and children. Yeah. Cause I don't, I don't think that they're negligible. I think that they're shaping culture in some important ways. And, and I haven't heard anyone talk about them. So oh. that's one. Now I'm all, now I'm all upset about the hunger games, which I already was like itchy about. Cause why was Katniss a white girl? But let's not even with that. Uh-oh. Yeah. But I mean, it might be because he has perverse, um, oh, shit. design. 
white women. Right. Like, I mean, you, you, know. you actually, the whole episode, we just did an episode about why Katniss was a white girl. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Oh, fuck. Shit. I mean, it, he might have needed within him, he might have needed to do to her the same thing he did to Pink and Britney. Yeah. And whatever, you know, teen starlet he could get his eyes on, uh, uh, hands on. What an elaborate co-opting on this particular occasion, though. Heavens. Those books are pretty chill. Like, they're not... They could... They could be chiller. There's a, we not we're not we don't need to. There's like a whole bunch of things to get into with the books, but uh, it, it, the books to the films clearly like went out of its way to strip out stuff that was a, a problem to strip out. Namely, that Katniss is not white, and uh, the capital their accent is not supposed to be this kind of like fluffy kind of Britishy, whatever it's distinctly described to be like a, like a Kardashian, like Hollywood, like everybody's got the vocal fray. Every single body is ending their sentences with a question inflection. They're all talking like this, that it's not, it's not regal. It's the mall. Um, but yeah, anyway, anyway. Well, um, yeah, that's my takeaway. I, you know, I, I'm arguing that Janet provided um, all of us, but certainly Brittany, with kind of a prototype. And all of the reviews of that album cite how she's borrowing from Janet and from Prince. Um, and so I, I do think it's a cautionary tale about reading and rereading and living with the artists that you quote and paraphrase and mimic and co-opt um, because th- those beats, those melodies, those rhythms, they're, they're tied to something kind of spiritually. And it seems that the spiritual vacuum infused into the product that Britney has handed it plays a sizable role in the Britney that we end up meeting in 2021. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think that as a song, Slave for You um, was just formulaic and soulless and just a free association about relinquishing self-control despite all sensible logic and counsel, which is very much the opposite. Um, I mean, there's some you know, eschewing the wisdom of parents in Janet's control, but it's, it's for more sound counsel within oneself, which is something that we don't find. Um, we find Brittany hoping that the music will, will do that for her, that it will be the voice that directs her, that it will be the master to her slave. Mm -hmm. Um, but ultimately we see that she, when you create a space to be dominated by a master, that that master will appear. Mm. It's escapism with the assumption that you're never going to be able to escape. It, it's escapism as a gift. Right? Like mm-hmm. it's not even mm-hmm. something that you manufacture yourself. It's like, here's a mode of escapism. That's no danger to the structure I'm creating for you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Now, have you seen Seberg or like no. done any? Mm-hmm. I would like to I would like to I would like to watch that with you and do an episode about it. 
Seaburger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I watched it a while back and it was really, I don't remember. I have a hard time like retaining like anything that I watch. I, I go through it once and then after a few weeks watching it again is like the first time. Uh, but yeah, it's, I feel like, I feel like somewhere in it, there's going to be a space to move from this dialogue. Okay. Yeah. I need space to move from this style. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I need like a, I need like a lollipop. I need like a sticker or like, you know, like after the dentist office kind of vibes. Like, I'm like, do I have any ice cream in the freezer? Sure. It's funny. There's um, a B side to Slave for You. It's her song Overprotected. Mm. Um, but there's a refrain in it, which is, um, I need space. I need me. Um, it's like a litany, a short litany of things that she needs. But I think the first in it is space. I, I need time, love, joy. I need space. I need me. All of the things that she's been denied, mind you. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's really interesting to to now, knowing what we know, return to this album and, and see how much of it was like this wish fulfillment exercise created to keep her trapped. Mm-hmm. Hmm. The upside down. That. Mm -hmm. Word. Well, I'm trying to think of more to say. I'm out of shit to say for this one. It's just so complex the way that, the way that like, like intersectionality is like all the little articulative pivot points articulated people i'm just gonna make up words because there's not enough like that's a whole other episode like i gotta i gotta think about the words that we use improperly and then the words that we don't have uh but yeah there's just all these little spots that things are noticed from and if if we weren't constantly distracted by things like racism uh you know we could be doing something with the information that we're accruing i think that's what you know just being less distracted by racism is that's the thing i'm already working on so uh yeah because it really will be it, it, in neoliberalism racism and neoliberalism is just such an aggressive mold yeah how it shows up in the arts and in relationships. Anyway, that's what's up. Thank you. I'm glad that we are on this journey together. Me too. <laughs> Same. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm totally open to being called on my shit. <laughs> I, you know, I try to own how much of this is driven by my own quirkiness, but, you know, as a literary scholar, I'm bound to examine what's in the lyrics and then contextualize it within the culture. And so that's how I arrive where I arrive. If you arrive somewhere else, let me know. But I think we, we should really be looking at Francis Lawrence. <laughs> I think I'm, I think I'm pretty interested in him and I'm, I'm wondering you know, because I, I do remember there were things about like Constantine. I just remember watching it a lot. There were things that I was like, mm, that's a little weird, but like not 
nothing that stands out and I just feel like I need to comb through. But then it's like, you know, how much time do I want to spend distracted by racism? That's the thing. And this is, this, this was my struggle with preparing to have this conversation because I'm like, I can't center 19 year old Britney Spears for this long in 2021. Like it's not, it's not healthy for me. It's not healthy for the movement, but (laughs) maybe it is though. Maybe there's something to go back and to breed that was not, worked out was was the salve that janet emerged to be that she was providing something for these these pop princesses Mm. that if you know they stop chasing you know clout they they might tune into yes because i feel like uh if if uh Brittany and Christina were one generation to have to suffer through this publicly. Um, it gave way to a generation of Kardashians that would uh, replicate some of these these problems in the public sphere. Uh, so, you know, it's worth it because we, we continue to watch history repeat itself. Mm. Well, I just find a way to on the black genius within and turn to the salve of Janet rather than to get mired in the mess of Brittany. Word. Yeah, I think, I don't know that history is repeating itself. I feel like I'm seeing a spiral and like we're not hitting the same spots. We're moving somewhere. Because especially if you start bringing the Kardashians into it, Brittany never, like she tanned, but like, I mean, they're up to some, they're up to, they haven't used the term transracial yet, but Rachel Dolezal is right there. Yeah, so I hear I hear what you're saying, and I see where you're going. I guess for me, there's a similar way that the Britney Spears camp and the Kardashian Jenner camp regards and activates Black genius, and um, the the folks that work with Pharrell prior to Britney were. Hmm. I'm, I'm trying not to make an essentialist claim. Mm. Um, mm. There, there is a way that Justin and Brittany turn to Timberland and Pharrell um, to achieve a certain passing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that. It, in regarding black genius as that kind of springboard for white mediocrity is the Kardashian brand. Hmm. Use, using black excellence as fodder for your, you know, capitalist, hyper-capitalist ascent. It's, I, I guess I see Spears and Kardashian Jenner as colonial powers. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. They colonize blackness for in their own interest in the relationship is more often parasitic than not. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I still I, I got I got a little bit of a, a special place for for Brittany, but it's just, it really is just because of the the treatment. Because her her thing does go back further, like she the 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 pageantry when she was a kid is like a whole other level. It goes further back, like her her mm-hmm. the grooming of her to be like you know 
livestock essentially yeah. for life. The, the only differences are not the only difference, but the, the primary difference is um, the technology mm. of their times. Mm. I think that Brittany was exploited as much as a child, a child star could be exploited within the technologies. Like, you know, trying to, to, to land a record deal after Mickey Mouse club before the internet, you know, and, and access to the web is, is in every home. Like that's, yeah. that's a different animal than, than, you know, what the Kardashian Jenners have, have access to. Well, and that's, yeah, I mean, I think it's because the Kardashian Jenners are being paired up against Britney where I'm like, that's a dynasty and a dynasty. And we got a whole other, that's a thought. That's just a different beast. And it's a colonial power and a colonial power. Yeah. And the Kardashian Jenners white, but the Kardashians are not white. Are they? They're not, they're not black and they're appropriating black identity, but they're they're trafficking in whiteness. Sure, so. of course, yes, yes. Um, Brittany is from Louisiana, though. Mm-hmm. Unquestionably white, and and not tilting in any direction to get there. I do, I just I'm not arguing. I'm noticing nuances. I'm putting pins in nuances because I feel like this is going to just be spinning in my mind for some time, and uh, I'll have more follow up thoughts that emerge. Um, yeah. 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 I, I am. I, I do think that um, the age at which Britney reaches uh, sexual maturation versus um, Kim Kardashian, for example, um, like the way that they can au- the way that they augment their bodies to fit the standards of beauty of the day um, are different, and those differences are made by just technology. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Also, the the standard of beauty um, was wider uh, in two, you know two thousand when when Britney was uh, preparing Slave for You and and I do think that this post racial cablation mix um, holy heck was, yes um, that the prizing that shade of mixiness. Um, <laughs> Which is a Kipling term. <laughs> um, Wait, Rudyard Kipling? Yeah. Yes. Oh, <laughs> oh what a mess. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I do think that the, the the standard of beauty is bending toward the Kardashians in a way that the normalcy of, of white womanhood bent toward Britney and her day. I would tend to agree. Yes. Yes. Well, I guess that's that for now. That's that for now. It has been a joy as always. You are such a wonderful <laughs> guest. I love doing episodes with you. I'm enjoying the journey. Thank you so much for the opportunity. We'd like to thank our patrons on Patreon and everyone who's bought our merchandise. Find the links to all that stuff and our social links on goodmorningmayberry.com. We've got closed captioned episodes on YouTube. Subscribe, listen, and rate us on all the podcast spots. If you're wondering who we are, we is me and my demons. 
And you can join the Legion by following our Tumblr, Twitter, or Instagram, jumping on the Patreon, or just buying one of our shirts and wearing that around, drinking the tears of whoever you like the least uh, out of one of our mugs. And uh, coming back and checking out the next episode. I'm Shift. And always remember to never forget. I'm glad that we are on this journey together. Me too. (laughs) Same. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm totally open to being called on my shit. 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 I hope you're all feeling good about that landing. That's not the end of this trip. There is a lot more to unpack about the 90s pop culture scene. And in fact, I've been having quite a week educating my peers, fellow millennials, and also some zillennials about Nickelodeon. And um, you know how they had that foot logo? well, um, they they had a lot of foot fetish pedophiles running around there making shows like uh, All That and The Amanda Show and, uh, you know, iCarly uh, having Ariana Grande pour water over herself and say obscene things veiled in jokes. It's a mess. So, uh... We'll we'll be having more episodes to talk about the pop culture patriarchy and how awful it is Uh, and um, some ideas that uh, we have because youth are always going to need to watch stuff, um, but they don't always have to watch stuff made by creeps. 